Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Flourish FM. Today, Nick and I interview Dr. Sharon Grossman, who's also known as the Burnout Doc. She's a leading expert on burnout, stress, productivity, and employee well-being. She's a psychologist, executive coach, keynote speaker, author of the international bestseller, The Solution to Burnout, and her most recent book is The Stress Advantage. She teaches, trains, and coaches people and organizations to become resilient in the face of stress, build the skills for optimal performance, redesign their mindsets, habits, and lifestyle, and overcome resentment. Nick, what do you uh, love most about this conversation? I think I'm just glad we finally got into this topic. We've, I think, circled around it in other conversations, right? Previous episodes, but we haven't really tackled it head on. And so being able to chat with Sharon about what exactly we mean by burnout, what some of the symptoms slash causes, which I think we had a little bit of debate around burnout are, how do we kind of identify it and become aware of it? I think she does a really nice job of taking some of that science and simplifying some of the languages and concretizing it, right? So that people can understand, here's what I'm experiencing, here's maybe some of the reasons I am experiencing it, and here's some things I can potentially do about it. So enjoyed the conversation and we hope you do too. Here is our discussion with Dr. Sharon Grossman. Dr. Sharon Grossman, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, both of you, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. So you are an expert on stress, burnout, and many other areas. Those are the two of the areas you've written books on, and we'd love to dig in deep to those today because you know those are serious factors that prevent flourishing and cause people to languish. So let's begin with burnout because you're that's you know been a massive area of your research, and you've got a whole process for helping people solve or cure themselves from burnout. So people speak about burnout increasingly nowadays. You know, people often say, I'm burned out, I'm feeling burned out, or they report having burned out multiple times. And they often think of it as kind of chronic exhaustion from work. But your work shows that burnout is much more complex than that. So let's begin with what exactly is burnout? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought this up because I was trained as a psychologist. So I was doing therapy way before I started doing all of this coaching and training that I now do. And when I started doing research for my book, what I was discovering, and this was pre-COVID, I found that people weren't really talking about burnout back then. And when I was doing the research and reading like whatever books were out there, what I discovered back then is that most of the books on burnout were focused on organizational change. So what can we do as a company? And I thought to myself, well, that's actually really disempowering because if I'm working in a company and I'm burned out... I now have to wait for my company to do something. And we all know how long that takes if they do anything at all, right? Yeah. So the reason I wrote the book was specifically to empower people to help themselves. But to just kind of bring it back to your question. So burnout in a very simplistic term, I would say, is chronic stress. And we can go into a whole rabbit hole about what stress is and what constitutes chronic stress and how that builds up. But ultimately, we all talk about stress all the time. Even if we're not saying we're burned out, we're all talking about stress. That's a term that people have been using for years. And I think there are what we call acute stressors. These are the things that happen in the moment. So, you know, you're taken in your commute to work and you get stuck in traffic or somebody cuts you off on the road. That is an acute stressor. And how you know that is because when you get to the office, you probably just forget about it and move on with your day. It doesn't really affect you. But if you were doing that same commute every day 
and every day you got stuck in traffic. Now we've got a repeating occurrence of something that's stressful and it's unrelenting. Therefore, that could be considered more of a chronic stressor. And I just use that as a simple example because I think a lot of people can relate to it. But when we're talking about burnout at work, oftentimes it's because of work-related stressors. So what's going on in your job that makes you stressed out? And as I started asking these kinds of questions of my clients, what I discovered was that, yes, there are some systemic problems. There are some issues that come from the company, but there's also issues that we bring to the table. And I thought, well, this is actually where the psychology comes in because that's where we get our power back. If you know that you're causing a lot of the problems, you can change the way that you think, the way that you behave. And as a result, change your experience at work without having to change your circumstances. So first and foremost, I think you just highlighted something really important when it comes to like, the individual or the organization, it's not an either or, it's a both and, right? Your research, your book focuses a little bit more on the individual, right? To empower them, but it's not necessarily solely on us as individuals. There's an ecosystemic outside in sort of factor here. Okay, great. So then what is that on an individual level? It's trying to navigate, potentially combat, or in some cases leverage, which we can get into around the stress piece chronic stress. So I have two immediate follow-up questions because I don't think you would say that chronic stress is the same as burnout. You're saying chronic stress leads to burnout. So let's get into the details. What do you mean by stress? And maybe we can get into Maslach at some point down the road, but what do you mean by stress? What should our audience understand that chronic means? Because I think it's a distinguishing factor, I would guess. And how does that manifest as a state of burnout? as opposed to a process towards burnout. Does that make sense? Yeah, so stress, that's a whole episode we could do. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure. But ultimately, from a psychological perspective, we would say it's about your perception, right? So how we know that is it's not like stress is a thing that you can hold in your hand. It's not a concrete thing that we all experience and agree on. What stresses you, Nick, out might be very different from what stresses you, John, out and vice versa. You might have the exact same circumstances and one of you gets stressed out and the other one doesn't. Why is that? It's because you have different interpretations, different coping, different ways of thinking about things that affect how you feel. So typically what we like to say is that stress is the perception that our demands exceed our resources. So if you believe that you can't cope with whatever is going on, you're going to feel overwhelmed by it and therefore stressed by it. Somebody else may be in the exact same situation. And we saw this in COVID. We saw some people thinking, oh my God, this is great. Now I have the opportunity to travel, to work from home, to stay more with my kids, to do this, 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 right? And the other people are like, I'm trapped. This is terrible the world's going to end, and they're freaking out. Same circumstance, very different reaction. So it all is really in the interpretation. So that's stress in and of itself. And if you are somebody who is in a very specific situation and that triggers something in you, like you feel like, oh my God, this is stressful or this is too much for me, and you're in that situation day in and day out, then it becomes chronic stress, right? And then in my book, I talk about the stress burnout continuum. So 
burnout isn't one thing. It's on this continuum. So the question is, how do you go from like acute stress to more chronic stress to then burnout? And what we know is that burnout is something that happens in stages. It happens over time. It happens very differently for everybody. So it's not like something like a cold where you would say, oh, if you tell me, John, that you have a cold, I know what that means. Oh, you probably like sneezing or coughing or something like that. It's very, very kind of understandable. Burnout can be something that happens to you very quickly, or it can take years in the making. You could get burned out for one reason and somebody else gets burned out for a different reason. And that's because you're stressed out for different reasons from other people. So it's a very complex kind of a thing. We kind of throw this term around like it just means this one thing. And yes, it's very much synonymous with uh, exhaustion, but it's not the same exhaustion that we typically think of. It's more of a mental, emotional exhaustion. So if you think about being in a, I mean, you you mentioned right before we started recording that you, I think, John, that you had recently burned out. Is that right? Oh, I've burned out. I've burned out multiple times a month. Yeah. So I think each of us probably has an experience with this. You can think about what is the common denominator across these different burnout episodes? And you'll see that there's sometimes it's for the same reason, but often it's for different reasons. But if we dig in a little bit, you might be able to boil it down and figure out what is that common denominator. And sometimes it is the personal combined with the environmental, as we mentioned. Sometimes it's just the environment. Like I've had clients who have worked for very narcissistic bosses. And they kind of seem to attract these people into their lives. So they leave this one toxic work environment and then they go somewhere else. And they kind of have this pattern repetition thing that happens. So we can explore that, right? Like, what is it about these people that maybe feels familiar or that you're drawn to? And how can we avoid that moving forward? But sometimes it's it doesn't really like I've had clients who are like, oh, my God, it's totally my job and I can't stand it and I'm totally burned out. And then I'll tell them some of how I work, which is a lot of mindset shifts. And I've had a client actually say this to me. She said, why should I have to work on my mindset when it's my industry that's the problem? And I said, okay, do you, can we do a little exercise? She said, sure. And so I said to her, I get that there's like a lot of things you don't like about your job that you don't think it's your mindset. That's the problem. But can you tell me three things you do like about your job? And she named three things. So I said to her, what would happen if every day you went to work and you only focus on those three things? And she's like, wow, I never really thought about it, but I can see how I would feel lighter. And I said, so we haven't changed anything yet in the environment, but we just refocus her mind. And as you guys already know, our mind is very much wired to focus on the negative. So that comes really easily to us. And so the truth is that every situation has pluses and minuses, but we're going to focus on the negatives because that just comes automatically. And sometimes it's not even about doing anything new or special or unique. It's just about what else is also true. What else is there that you do like? Why are you in this job? I mean, I, I always come at it from the perspective of you're there for a reason. What's keeping you there? Otherwise, you've been gone a long time ago. It's not like it can't be all bad, right? So what are those other things? Now, what would happen if we just focus on those things? Not to diminish or ignore the negatives, but for the sake of the exercise, what would it be like to focus on those things and go to work? And it's like, oh, actually, it's quite different, 
right? So I think I think there's this mix of factors that we need to consider. And certainly, I'm always looking to get to the root cause of what's underneath all of the suffering and the symptoms that people are much more aware of than what's really kind of triggering them. Awesome. Thank you for the very detailed answer. There's a lot it is. we'd like to dig into here. Yeah. <laughs> I should also clarify because I kind of laugh. I've burned out multiple times. I'm definitely not proud of this. <laughs> it's just, you know, self-mocking humor. I put my finger on twice that I burned out. I think there might be a third time. And just for the record, John, I don't think burnout, I know there's like this really big stigma around this, which is why a lot of people don't want to admit that they're in that process of burnout and they don't want to ask for help, which only exacerbates the situation. And I do want to state for the record, there's nothing shameful about it. And it's kind of interesting, I think, that we talk about being stressed like it's a badge of honor. Like, oh my God, I'm so stressed. I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. And we don't talk about burnout because we're so ashamed. Like there's something wrong that we did. And it's like, no, that's actually, that doesn't even make sense because they're very much related, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we just want to dig a little bit more into stress and its relation to burnout and what exactly stress means here. So, so far it's the stress has to be chronic caused by workplace stresses, but there's things an individual brings to it, such as the way they experience stress compared to a colleague, let's say, but it's nonetheless an occupational phenomenon. It's brought about through workplace stress or environmental triggers, as it were. But you mentioned that it involves mental and emotional exhaustion, not just, and perhaps not at all, physical exhaustion. Well, maybe it does have to involve that. So can we get into how stress kind of is caused by those areas? So for example, in your book, The Stress Advantage, you talk about some, as some aspects of it, and also in your book on burnout, that it involves, for example, depersonalization. So can we just get in a bit more deeply to what kind of stress brings about burnout? Well, let's back up for a second. I also want to clarify that it's not just workplace stressors, right? We're holistic beings. So all our lives, like all the components of our lives are integrated and you can't really segment just one piece of it. Yes, sometimes it's just things at work, but often think about you as a vessel. You're absorbing stress in all parts of your life and you get to a point where it's like I just can't like I just can't take it anymore, right? And sometimes it's like because things at, at work are stressful and things at home are stressful, right? Cuz I mean, how many people are raising kids or are in a stressful marriage or single parents and that's really stressful or they have an aging parent or they're dealing with a health challenge. We've got things outside of work that are super stressful and those things take up some of our bandwidth. So now we're coming into the workplace and if work is also stressful, we're going to get tapped out a lot faster than if everything was so great on our personal side, if that makes sense. So I just want to start with that because it's not really that separate. Uh, I think of it as if, you know, there's an analogy to what we call a stress bucket. So you're like that stress bucket. You've got a stress bucket ability to absorb so much stress, right? And the bucket gets filled up with stuff from your kids and your your wife and your your friends and your parents. And now you've got work stuff, you got your boss and you got your customers and you got your employees and then you got your own perfectionism and all these things that kind of fill up your bucket, right? And then you've got COVID or whatever things are going on in the world. And at some point your bucket's gonna overflow. 
unless you've got a spigot in the bucket that you can turn on and have a release so that those levels don't overflow. And so that's really your coping. That spigot is the coping that you enact to make sure that the stress levels don't get so high that you start to have these symptoms. So when we're talking about exhaustion, that's a symptom of burnout, right? And it is very different physical and emotional exhaustion because, you know, if you're physically exhausted, like after you've run a marathon, what do you do? You go get some rest, you wake up and you're recharged and you're good to go. But emotional and mental exhaustion, which is what we see more so in burnout, there's a psychological element to that. And it's a lot harder for us to bounce back from psychological stressors than it is from physical stressors. It's not like we just go take a nap. We're all rested up and we're good to go. It's like, no, think about, you know, this, just like a small example. I was with my kids yesterday. My kids were playing ball. The ball kind of bounced and it hit the brim of this old man's hat. And he got really pissed off at my son and he cursed him out. And I was like, he said, what to you? I was like, and then the old man went away and I just couldn't shake it off. I was so mad. I was, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, I need to let this go. Like this guy is gone and I'm still lingering with this emotion that it triggered in me. And I thought, you know, this is what happens to us as psychological beings is like something happens and it gets stuck in our brain. And then we're experiencing all of this negativity and then we can't sleep and we're constantly regurgitating the information and playing it again and again in our heads. And this is why we're emotionally and mentally exhausted, right? Because we've got all these sticky points, all these trigger things that happen. And it's really hard for us to get over that. And sometimes it's because when we talk about triggers, just to clarify, I like to say, if you want to know what a trigger is, it's when you have a response to an event that is above and beyond what you would normally expect for that event. And Usually there is a prehistoric, if you will, event that now this in some way, what's happening right now, in some way reminds you even subconsciously of that previous event. And that's why you're having such a strong emotional reaction to it. So imagine if we've got all kinds of things from our childhood that we haven't processed and we've got a million triggers and now you go out into the world and you're dealing with other people. And they do and say things that trigger you all over the place. You're going to be a lot more stressed out than if you didn't have those triggers or if you had coping mechanism dealing with those triggers, if that makes sense. So I think, again, we all get stressed out for different reasons. I think we need to have coping mechanisms in place. We have to have a lot of self-awareness, kind of like I shared in that example from yesterday. Like I noticed myself getting stuck there. And that self-awareness is what allowed me to say, enough, let it go. But sometimes we don't have that awareness. So we just keep going with it. And it's like that accumulates with all the other things that are happening. And we end up just a hot mess. Absolutely. I want to ask, there's a lot of what you just described there makes total sense. And I wouldn't necessarily refer to that as stress. And I'm wondering if we're using similar language or different language. And I just want to nail this down here because I think I heard like anger. I heard incoherence. I heard, you know, it could potentially be nervousness. It could potentially be values misalignment, right? That leads to feelings of guilt. 
right? For instance, so like going back to John's question about depersonalization, which you've written about, we'll get into Maslach's inventory and some of these things. And I think you're making a really important point. It's not just physical exhaustion, it's mental exhaustion. I guess what I'm asking is it doesn't necessarily sound to me like the mental exhaustion is happening exclusively because of stress. It sounds to me like I would call more general unpleasantness and lacking to your point, the coping mechanisms or preventative tools right, to mitigate those in the first place. But the reason I'm raising this is, and please push back here, but if, if we go a little more granular than, than, say, assigning a distress, and maybe it's a both and, then to me, we can get a little bit more specific in the, the sort of spigot or, or coping mechanism that we need, right? Stress and pressure might require a slightly different response than anger, right, or apathy, right, right or those sorts of things. Is that You see where I'm going? Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I would also say that all of those things tap out our problem stressors, our battery, if you will. Right. So if we, if you think about the analogy of like your phone and you see like what level your battery is, it's really clear when you're watching a video, it drains the battery faster. Right. But at the end of the day, it's like we've got some capacity, we're reaching the bottom of that capacity it's time to re recharge that phone. And I think in the same way, you can call it anger or whatever else is going on. All of those things at the end of the day are going to be draining to our battery. So in some ways you can say they're a sort of a stressor because it's about that imbalance between whatever we're dealing with and our ability to cope with it. So you're right. I think the new, there is a nuance in terms of how we cope with it, but the more kind of overview way of looking at it is, do I have the coping mechanism to deal with whatever's happening, whether it's anger, sadness, hurt, whatever, whatever the emotional state is. And if not, if I am imbalanced with my ability to cope with whatever that thing is, then I would say that's maybe stress, sort of a stressor. Yes. Okay. Going back to your sort of basic definition, demand versus resources, just that ratio, right? Exactly. All right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And I love that definition, demands and resources. So just one more question on, on what you've just been saying then, Sharon. So about the reason I emphasized burnout being an occupational phenomenon is just based on the World Health Organization's definition, right? That it's an occupational phenomenon. They define it as a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. And I'm really glad you made this point that it can come from personal factors too, because that just seems obvious that personal demands in a person's life could contribute to their physical, emotional, and mental exhaustion. So is your definition of burnout then one that kind of challenges standard definitions, or has it evolved since that 2019 account came out? Has the research evolved to now take into account personal factors, or is this kind of you pushing the research in a, in a way that encompasses more of a person's life? I like to say that there are three contributing factors to burnout, three kind of big picture items. Obviously, for each person, it's going to be very different within those three buckets. But for me, it's your early life experiences, because that kind of sets the stage, as we said, for all of these triggers that are now going to show up and produce stress. I think the second one is whatever environmental factors are going on right now for you, which include both at work and outside of work. And then thirdly, it's your personality. So when I say that, I'm not talking like Myers-Briggs or something like that. I kind of created my own 
framework for that, if you will, where I look at what are three different personality structures that then when they're out of balance, end up in burnout land. And so I call those the thinker, the feeler, and the doer. And this is just to help people have an easier way of putting their finger on the problem so that they can look for not just a generic way of recovering from burnout, but for a more specific idea, create an action plan for themselves based on what they now know is contributing to their problem, right? I got really tired of hearing these generalizations, both in terms of, oh, it's it's the organizational's responsibility to change it, as I mentioned before, because I feel like that's not the whole picture, of just hearing that it's in the workplace because that's not the whole picture. And I wanted people to be able to access what they have control over. This is what is empowering for us. So in a nutshell, the thinker is somebody who tends to be very much in their head. So they're overanalyzing everything. These are the people who are more prone to anxiety. And we see this manifest in things like perfectionism, procrastination, imposter syndrome, indecisiveness. They're going to have a harder time dealing with everyday little things because they're spending a lot of time and energy on every detail. So as an example, I had a client once who was a VP of her company, obviously doing really well in her career, but she didn't internalize it. So this is the thing is it's not about reality, right? A lot of this is our own psychology. So she, it didn't really matter that she kept getting promoted and that she was doing well and everybody thought she was doing a great job. It was, she was carrying inside a feeling that she was an imposter, that she didn't really deserve to be there. And she was deathly afraid of making any sort of mistake because she said, then everybody would know that I don't really deserve to be here and I would lose my job, right? So a lot of this comes from fear. A lot of the thinker's world comes from fear. And then all of these are like overcompensations. So she would spend probably like an hour on an email because she would ha- every Monday she'd have to send out an email to the entire team and she would read it over about eight different times. And she was so afraid of pressing send on that email because she's like, well, what if I said this wrong or what if I made a typo or whatever? And she was just constantly in the what ifs and that just took up so much extra time. Now imagine she's got like a hundred other things she's got to do. She can't even get to the important things because of an email right? So we get bogged down by the little things because we're overanalyzing and we're, we've got a lot of fear that's getting in the way of our functioning. We've got the feelers who are more like the people pleasers, the people who are constantly taking on other people's responsibility because they feel guilty focusing on themselves, right? They're like, my mission is to help other people. And it's like, yes, that's great. But you're not in balance if you're not focusing on yourself at all. And you're putting yourself constantly in the back burner. And a lot of what I heard from people is, well, you know, if I focus on myself, isn't that selfish? And I could be spending this time and energy helping somebody else. I'm like, yes, but how long are you going to be able to do that if you never take care of yourself and you're burned out and then you can't help anybody, right? So you got to have a more sustainable model. Otherwise, this isn't going to last. And then what happens is they're giving, they're giving, they're giving. And then they get to a point where it starts to backfire and they end up feeling resentful because they're like, I'm doing all this stuff. Nobody cares. Nobody's reciprocating. 
underneath all this giving, there's this desire, whether they're aware of it or not, to be acknowledged, to be recognized, to have other people reciprocate and help them out. And oftentimes we don't get that back. And then they get angry and they might lash out. And then all of a sudden they feel guilty about lashing out. So now they have to overcompensate and be really like giving again. And we end up in the cycle of constant like guilt and resentment. So that doesn't work. And then finally, you've got the doers. And these are just your people who are stuck in that hamster wheel where they tell themselves like, when I finish this, I'll finally have a chance to relax. But then they've got like 103 other things that they have to do. And the reason that they are stuck in this paradigm is because their self-worth is very much wrapped up in their productivity. So they only feel worthy if they're quote unquote, doing something, accomplishing something. And they don't understand that they don't have anything to prove. They feel like they have to, it's like this compulsion, but ultimately it's about your relationship with yourself, right? So I think depending on which bucket you fit in with regards to your personality, you kind of can see that the perfectionist has very different work to do than the people pleaser, right? It's nuanced. So now you can say, okay, well, if I'm a people pleaser, I need to work on my boundaries. Whereas if I'm a perfectionist, I need to have some more self-compassion or I need to work on my fear of this irrational fear that I have that's driving all of my decision-making. So I wanted to be able to be more nuanced with people and give them the language to speak about what's going on, what's contributing to their chronic stress, to their burnout, that they're bringing to the table so then they can have more of that personalized recovery strategy. Hi friends, Nick here with just a brief interlude to share with you an update on one of our newest partnerships with the Anti-Fragile Academy. Throughout John and I's conversations with many, if not most of our guests, one thing has been made really clear. In order for people to flourish, thrive, experience the good life, they need to develop the capacity to not only navigate and endure, but ideally grow from the bad, grow from unpleasant experiences. That's why we're thrilled to be partnering with our newest sponsor, the Anti-Fragile Academy, an organization that I co-founded with Dr. Adam Wright, Director of Mental Performance for the Washington Nationals. At the Anti-Fragile Academy, we work with adolescent athletes, executives, and educators to help them understand some of the science, not just of optimal performance, but of well-being and anti-fragility. The ability not only to endure and bounce back from unpleasantness, but to actually come back stronger, to grow from it. Between Adam and I, we've worked with Fortune 100 companies, Inc. 300 executives, Division I programs, and elite professional athletes and Olympians from all over the world. To find out more about how you can leverage anti-fragility training, check out our website at theantifragileacademy.com. So any of those three types, right? Avatars, categories, whatever you want to call them. And it goes back to our earlier conversation about, you know, stress versus unpleasantness. They are often mired in perpetual sort of unpleasantness. Right. The thinker is is battling all sorts of thoughts that are creating all sorts of challenges and issues. Right. The doers are kind of finding that like balance between scratching that itch, but having like proper sort of recovery time. 
the feelers are. You made me think of Adam Grant stuff, you know, in the TED Talk, like the selfless givers, right? Finding ways to give can be really advantageous, but they're overdoing it, right? They're, you got to put put your own oxygen mask on first sort of deal, right? But in all three categories, they're falling into, and there's a me piece, but there's a we piece, right? Ecosystem, environment matters. But in all three categories, they're just in this constant state of unpleasantness, right? That could turn into chronic stress. I wouldn't necessarily call it that. We often think of burnout as my work sucks. I hate working here or I hate doing this work and I'm so negative. You know, I feel so negative and I'm absorbing all this negativity and over time it builds up and then that's how I burn out. But there are plenty of people who love what they do and they give it everything they got and they burn out because they're just not balanced. So it's not that it's unpleasant. It's just, it's not balanced. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So. I'm sure Nick might have follow up some ways just asked them, but just one thing. So is there a necessary condition for burnout, like a necessary factor? Does it is it just the one thing that has to be present is a sense of exhaustion? But that sense of exhaustion could be physical, emotional, or mental, needn't be any particular one of those, just one of those. And that's the only thing that has to be there. But the way that manifests could be varied in that someone could love their work, but just work too hard at it. So be exhausted physically, perhaps not mentally or emotionally, or someone could actually not be working as many hours as that person, but just hate their work. So it just emotionally drains them every day. But it's an unnecessary sense of exhaustion. So is that the one necessary condition for burnout? Exhaustion? It's not a condition. It's a symptom, if that makes sense. So if you look at the definition of burnout, there are three big symptoms and exhaustion is one of them. And then the second one is usually portrayed as cynicism, but it's a change, a negative change to your attitude. People get snarky, they get irritable, that sort of thing. And then the third one affects your performance because it has to do with just your, I think it affects your confidence. I think it affects your ability to do what you used to be able to do. And maybe it's tied into the fact that you're exhausted. I personally see it as almost like a chain reaction where if I'm so drained and now I've got to do something and I've got mental fog because I can't even think straight because I'm so tired. I'm not going to be able to perform the same way that I used to be able to. So now if I'm a doer and my whole self-worth is wrapped around this ability to perform and I can't, I'm going to feel like something's wrong with me, right? And I'm going to be really worried about that. And all of that is going to create more stress and just exacerbate the whole problem. But all of those three things are simply symptoms of burnout. It's not that you need to be exhausted in order to burn out. It's that you're burned out. And therefore, these are the ways that you figure out that you're there. If that makes sense, right? Like if I'm exhausted, I'm like, well, is this a chronic exhaustion? Is this taking me more than the weekend to recuperate? Like, am I having a really hard time getting back into the game where even like a four-day weekend is just barely getting me back to where I was? Like, what's happening? right? that That's a sign for you to say, this isn't just like, I just ran a marathon and I'm tired. This is like a much deeper thing. And it's probably a sign that you're burned out. So that's, that's the sign piece that I've, I think we're really trying to hammer down here. Like for our listeners, how do I know? How do I know if I'm burned out? Right. And I think you've, you've just highlighted those three categories and you mentioned earlier, it's a spectrum. So this, this soundboard or sliders, if you will, right. 
slider one physical you mentioned it right you could you could love your work but if you love your work so much that you ain't sleeping at some point that you're going to have to cash that in sort of deal right you love your work so much that you're letting relationships be ruined at some point that's probably going to have some sort of impact slider two you've got you sort of characterize as mental or we say depersonalized or cynicism attitude change it might be misalignment of values ethical issues those whatever right whole bunch of different things and then slider three you've got this performance piece right maybe you perceive you're not performing well maybe in reality you're actually not performing well but it's not like you just have to check all three of these boxes if i'm understanding you correctly it's that each box can kind of be again that soundboard analogy right slid up or slid down and you really should be aware of and monitoring all three yeah. And by by talking to different people who have experienced burnout, I can also tell you that not everybody experiences all three. And sometimes there's even like a difference in the order in which you experience them. If you experience all of them at all, like sometimes you might just have cynicism. And then that's really hard to know. Am I really burned out? Because I've been really cranky. And what is that about? Right. So that sort of thing. And sometimes there's like a gender disparity. Also, I find like some people have said that they find that women tend to be more affected from the emotional exhaustion kind of piece. And maybe that's because they're absorbing more of the emotional stressors, if you will. And men sometimes tend to go more into the cynicism category. I don't know. I mean, that's anecdata, but what I would say is it's not a one size fits all. It's so varied. It's so nuanced. And that's why we're having this conversation because, you know, if you go to Google, you're going to find these are the three symptoms. And what you should do is get some rest and self-care and take a two, you know, two week vacation or something. And I just find that that's really not very helpful. Mm -hmm. What is helpful when it comes to like, what's my spigot? What are my personalized sort of individualized, you know, we're okay. I'm looking at my three categories. I have a sense that maybe I'm I'm teetering and imbalance on the physical side and the emotional side, but I'm achieving pretty well. I'm just, right, I'm playing that game and it's going to hurt me eventually, right? How do I go about the process of starting to say, what do I do? What do I do to prevent that? What do I do to mitigate it? Or if I'm, if I'm too far down the line already, what do I do to start to recover? And th those are probably slightly different questions, but I assume there's a lot of overlap between those answers too. Well, so that's why I came up with this whole framework, which I call Decode Your Burnout, to help people have a more nuanced understanding of what are the things that are contributing to their burnout in the first place. Because if you are somebody who's a perfectionist and you're burned out, going to the next job, you know, quitting your job, going somewhere else isn't really going to do much for you because you take yourself wherever you go. So you really have to understand like what is the contributor to this burnout? And usually it's more than one thing, but for some people, it's just the one thing. Like it could just be, I don't feel appreciated. And for a lot of people, that's it. I would be so happy to continue to do this job and give everything that I've got, but I just feel like they don't really appreciate me or they don't really care, right? And that's really a crappy feeling when you give from your heart. So nobody wants to feel that. And we've seen this in healthcare. People are leaving by the droves, you know, and I think it's because 
It's a system that isn't very compassionate to the providers. They're supposed to be compassionate in their giving of service to customers, to clients, to patients, and it starts to catch up with you after a while. So you have to ask yourself, like, do I have enough of a sense of purpose to keep me here and not let the fact that I'm getting nothing from the system, from the admins or whatever, bring me down? Or do I just say this isn't for me? And some people chose to stick with it because they do get something in return. They like working with patients. They like to feel like they're helpful. They like to have a sense of purpose in what they're doing every day. And they can't imagine doing anything else. And other people maybe spent, I mean, I literally talked to this guy who is a plastic surgeon right out of school. And he's like, you think I have a lot of money, but I got a mortgage. I've got two little kids at home. I've got student loans up the wazoo and I'm just getting started. And I don't even like this work. Come to find out. So I just spent 10 plus years in school accumulating all this debt. And I thought, you know, I'd I'd be paying it off. I'm even having second thoughts about, do I want to do this? But now I'm trapped because I got to pay off all these bills. I got to support my family. And what am I going to do? So people who are in those situations, they maybe don't have a sense of purpose except for paying their bills. And that's not really enough. And then they're going to burn out really fast. Right. Thank you. So this method you described, so I described there of recovering from or avoiding burnout. I take it this is the what you also call the 7E solution to burnout, right? In your book on this. So the 7E solution that I came up with was after I scoured the literature, which mind you, this is pre-COVID. So I'm sure there's been a lot of changes since, but I looked at what was written in terms of not just people's books, but in the research. And I thought of the things that I'd been working with my clients in therapy on and the kinds of things that were helping them, the kinds of things that they were struggling with. And I kind of wanted to put it together for people as a blueprint, if you will, something that you can use this as a self-coaching guide. And what I discovered, the reason I called it the seven E's is because I discovered that all of these things just happened to start with the letter E, which I thought was really interesting. But the very first piece of the puzzle, which I think is if you're going to pick one thing, this is the one thing because it's huge. The first E is emotional intelligence. And why that's so important is because we talked about the importance of self-awareness. That's what it starts with. And honestly, any change you're going to make to work on yourself, anything with regards to your own personal development has to start with awareness of where your problems are, you know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What's triggering you? What do you know about yourself? Right. And a lot of that also comes into, we talked about stress being about an interpretation. What are you telling yourself? What are the thoughts that you tend to think? What are your patterns of thinking that are maybe problematic and how to get to the other side of that? So if you're somebody who tends to catastrophize, which I see a lot in my thinkers, you're going to have a lot of anxious thoughts. And those anxious thoughts are going to contribute to your overall anxiety, which is going to get in the way of your performance, kind of like my client that I mentioned with the imposter syndrome. All of these things are going to just drain your battery. And so if you know that about yourself and you're like, okay, well, I need to do something to break this pattern. What do I do? Well, be aware of what are the thoughts that are recurring in your head? Are you telling yourself, oh my God, this is going to be the worst thing ever. Or a lot of people with imposter syndrome are like, 
tomorrow, they're going to discover that I am not supposed to be here. And then they have all these catastrophic ideas about what's going to happen. I'm going to be humiliated. That's a very stressful and kind of scary thing for people. I'm going to lose my job. I had a client who 14 years was working for the same company and 14 years on a daily basis was worried about losing his job. Wow. Everybody's like, you're doing amazing. We love you. Didn't matter because it wasn't rational every single day. Perceived. Yeah, right. Right. So he would catastrophize. And so I said to him, well, what are you worried about? And he said that I'm going to lose my job and I'm not going to be able to afford my lifestyle and help my family and all this stuff. So I said, okay, it's been a long time in the making. Let's do a little exercise. And I said, you know, I want you to imagine your worst case scenario. Because this is what he was playing in his brain every single day. So I'm like, that should be easy. Great. You got it. Now you've got 60 seconds to turn it around. Go. And I'm timing him. And it took him less than a minute. And he's like, I got it. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And he says, I realized that if this happened to me tomorrow, there would be seven people that I could call that would give me a job like this. But think about it. You're in your industry for 14 years and everybody loves you and everybody knows you to do a great job. People are probably looking to take you away from wherever you're working because they want you to do that for their company. Yes or no? So once he realized it, he didn't have to catastrophize anymore. And so the point of the story is this, that when we are stuck in these negative thinking patterns, such as catastrophizing, we're focusing on the problem, not the solution. So this guy was asking his himself questions that started with the words, what if, what if this happened? What if that happened? What if this? And so you're inundating yourself with questions and you're not answering the question. So a simple fix is like, okay, well then what are you going to do if that happens? And then if you've got a contingency plan and it sounds pretty good to you, then you're like, I don't have to worry about this anymore. Done. Right? So sometimes it's about that self-awareness so that you can interject the right solution such and you saw this is such a simple fix but we don't always know what to do so that's that's kind of the process of emotional intelligence is having that self-awareness and then being able to manage your emotions by maybe looking at that relationship between the thoughts and the feelings and then i also talk to them about how do you reverse engineer how you feel or the results that you want to create in the world so if you you know, during COVID, I had a lot of clients that were very, very anxious. And like I said, felt trapped because they have to stay in their house and quarantine. So I asked this one client, okay, well, we're not going to make COVID go away, but how do you want to feel about the fact that you're home now? And she said, I want to feel calm. I said, great. What would you need to think in order to feel calm? It's these kinds of questions that get people thinking in a different way, right? So That's where she started to think about, well, you know, this, that, and the other. And she came up with, I get to spend more time with my kids. So that's kind of a positive thing. And you know what? There's that room in my house that I've been wanting to decorate and I haven't had a chance to. Now I have a chance to decorate it. And she's working out of that space. So she feels really good because it looks the way she wants it to look. She feels the way she wants to feel. And now instead of feeling trapped, she's like, oh, this is actually kind of nice right? So sometimes it's about asking yourself these questions of like, well, what am I going for? Not just 
what do I want to accomplish in the world? But like, how do I want to feel in this situation? Because not every situation we have control over, but what we do have control over always is how we feel in that situation. And that is directly related to the thoughts that are going through our mind. So if you don't, if you're not aware of the thoughts or you're aware of them, but you don't feel like you can change them, that's where you need to start applying some of these ideas and being able to shift your thinking, which will then have an impact on your feelings and consequently your behaviors. It seems like so much of this is, I'm going to use the word personality, right? You mentioned personality earlier, but you've, I think, done a nice job of sort of reducing maybe, you know, more complex personality to these kind of categories, right? The thinker, the doer, the feeler, which I think is really useful language for for our listeners. So as we start to wrap here, we're going to come to our flourishing question, right? We're going to ask you about the one thing, but I want to summarize a lot of what you said, because I think what you've done is you've really honored the fact that there isn't a one thing for all people. And so let's let's try to bridge these together, right? You, you correct, John or I, if we're wrong with any part of this summary, but burnout, it's consistent, right? Or chronic battery draining experiences to the point that at some point you're going to have a hard time even recharging the battery. The battery's kind of, right, crapped out. Okay. So that tends to come from any kind of amount of three categories, physical exhaustion, right? Sort of the mental exhaustion, cynicism, attitude change, or achievement related issues perceived or real. But within those three categories, you might be inner, you probably are interacting with them in really unique ways. Maybe you're that thinker, you're catastrophizing, you're always in your head. Maybe you're that doer, maybe you're that feeler, right? So knowing that, okay, maybe my bat, I, I have a hunch as a listener, my battery is being drained and I need to do something about it, right? After listening to Dr. Grossman, it could be in the physical, it could be in the mental, it could be in the achievement, right? I've realized, oh, I'm a thinker, I'm a doer, I'm a feeler. Now what do they do? What would you tell our listeners as an action step to kind of get them started? Is it is it starting with an assessment, right? Like one on your website to really get into the granular? Is it taking action? What do you think? So again, I want to just reinstate the point that the exhaustion, the cynicism, and the accomplishment piece of things, those are symptoms of burnout. They're not what cause burnout. And if you're feeling like your energy is drained and you're thinking, maybe I'm burned out, what do I do about it? What I find really helpful, and this is why I created the framework, is to start out by thinking about what is contributing to my stress. What is it from the environment? What is it from within? You know, my thinker, a feeler, a doer. And based on the information that I get back, I can start to put together a blueprint, a roadmap, a step by step process for me of what I need to do to recover. And what we want to be specifically aware of is one, our thinking. Where do I feel really negative? What's really stressing me out? What's triggering me? So it could be about doing something to change your circumstances, or it could just be change the way that I think about this thing. So it's a mindset shift. You also want to look at where am I out of balance? Because as I mentioned, Burnout doesn't have to be a really negative experience. It can be, and it is for a lot of people, but some people are just workaholics. They're your doers and they're just like all in until they got nothing left to give, right? So for those people, it's maybe just about dialing it back and how do I introduce more balance into my life? Like how can I ensure that I don't burn out because I'm not just 
working. I'm not just exerting energy, but I'm doing something to replenish my battery. What is that for you? And I like to ask people to think about the difference between what helps you to de-stress versus what helps you to recharge. Those are very different activities. And we don't often think in that way. We think about self-care as this something I got to do to take care of myself, but we don't really know what that means. And there's so many different things that fall under the category of self-care. You know, for some people, self-care could be getting eight hours of sleep a night, which can certainly help you recharge your battery. But for some people, sleep is also de-stressing. So I'm not here to say it has to be this or that. You have to know for yourself what allows you to de-stress. For some people, it's going for a run. For other people, it's talking to their therapist. For other people, it could be, I don't know. But what we often find, and I want to bring this back to the coping piece, is that we engage in unhelpful coping strategies because we're looking for that easy, quick fix, right? So we're going for, you know, we're opening up the fridge and we're taking out the ice cream and we're we're going for those things that are going to give us that state shift. They don't necessarily help us change out of that place of stress, especially if it's chronic. They're not going to help you be less of a perfectionist. So we want to really get to the bottom of what's going on, what's really contributing to your stress. Based on that, you can start to create a plan that allows you to dig into the actual root of the problem so that once you tackle those things, and again, it's going to be very different for everybody, which is why, you know, when I'm doing a discovery call with somebody, I'm asking them exactly what's going on in their life so that I can help them see that this is a very unique thing for them. And it's not necessarily going to be the same for other people. They need to figure all these things out about themselves. And that's how you put together your, your program. And I wish it was simpler. And I could say, everybody, just take two weeks off. But we know that doesn't work. So we've got to dig deeper and we, and bottom line is you got to do the work. And what's hard for people when they're in a state of really, really extreme burnout is they don't have the bandwidth to do this work. That's when you really have to work with somebody else that's got your back, that's going to hold you through this process because you can't even think straight at that point. You don't have the bandwidth to think, to put together a plan, to keep yourself accountable. Like it's just too much. So we got to go slow and we got to be really tailored to each individual and our approaches when it comes to recovery. And I think once you've gotten yourself back to that place of like, I feel like me again, then you can say, these are the things I need to have in place in my life so it doesn't happen again and again and again. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. Thank you, Sharon. We have our final signature question, the flourishing question. I'm going to tailor it slightly to your areas of expertise, though, in the theme of this podcast episode, stress and burnout. So what is one lesson on stress and burnout you want our listeners to walk away with? And what's a practical step putting it into action? So I think it's just recapping everything that we just said is that we all have our own reasons for feeling stressed out and for burning out. And you have to know yourself in order to build a life that is sustainable in the way that you want it to be. You know, a lot of us work really hard to get to where we are, both in terms of our life partner, our families, and our careers. And we're not really taught the quote unquote soft skills or the way of thinking and being in the world that allows us to have it be sustainable. And so along the way, you're going to experience 
a lot of negativity, stress, you know, there's going to be conflict with other people. There's all different things that can contribute to your burnout. I think the more you know yourself, the more you trust yourself, which is another very important component, the more you understand what is contributing to the problem, the better you can align yourself with a balanced approach that makes sure that you are in control of the things that you have control over. And hey, we also said that sometimes it's just your environment. So I just want to also come back to that for a second. And if that is the case, then it's not about you working on yourself. It is absolutely about you just finding a better fit. Kind of like being in a bad relationship. You don't have to like go to therapy and fix it. Sometimes you just have to find a new partner, right? But ultimately it's about understanding what the root cause is so that you can create that customized recovery solution for yourself. And again, there's no shame in any of it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Sharon Grossman. Website is drsharongrossman.com. You find out about all Sharon's work on there, including her burnout meter, her own customized survey you can take to see how burned out you are or whether you're at risk of burnout. Thank you for joining us today, Sharon. It's been an absolute honor and pleasure interviewing you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Thank you, Sharon. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Flourish FM. We hope you enjoyed the content. Please be sure to leave us a five-star review and hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast and on all major social media platforms. And if you visit our website, flourishfmpodcast.com, you can sign up to our newsletter. We send out a weekly newsletter. First newsletter of every month, we share a long-form blog. And every newsletter, every week, we share highlights from our previous episodes. Please hit subscribe on our website.